Everybody, hi, it's Jen Hatmaker. Welcome to the For the Love podcast. So, we have a really special bonus episode for you today, and I'm really, really glad you're here. It's Pride Month, and if you've been around me for half a second, you know that this is cause for great celebration and incredibly meaningful to me and to my family. Today, my guest is my daughter, Sydney. She's in college. My community loves Sydney and always has. And this is just a special conversation. So Sydney is gay, and this is like a known fact in our family and has been. This is not news. This is not new news. This is not an announcement. This has just been a part of our family and her life and her story. But of course, as you might imagine, I am careful, (laughs) definitely careful about putting, you know, a couple of million eyeballs on any one of my kids, no matter what. You know, Sydney and I have always talked for, you know, years on this, just this is your story and you are deserving of privacy. And so until, you know, until that's something that we decide together, I'm not going to take away that your right to privacy in your own life. It's not your fault that your mom's got a bunch of people that listen to her. But that time has come. And so I've told Sydney for quite a while, I'm like, I need you, I want to make sure that you know that I am not ashamed of you. You are not a secret to me. And that whenever you're ready, whenever you want to talk to my community about your life and your story, the microphone is yours. This is not a secret. You are not a secret. I am proud of you. I'm proud of who you are, proud of exactly where you are going and what makes you you. And so this was the year that, you know, Sydney said, yeah, I, I think I think that's time. I, I think it's time to, to say it. And, and she's just a, such a stunning human being. And so today is really special. She and I worked on, you know, this this interview, and we put this together. And this is Sydney's story in her words. And I hope that it serves you well. And I hope that you listen. And I hope that you learn. And I hope that you can forgive us our tears. We did a fair amount of crying. (laughs) We are who we are, people. She is my daughter. And I was really proud of her. And she's really courageous today. And so smart and so special and so purposed in this world. I just, I told her this at the end, but I just wouldn't change one ounce of who she is, not a molecule, not a moment. The only thing I would change in our story is I wish I could go back and shake myself to life sooner. Well, well, well before I wish I could have said, hey, I wonder if this is a theology that you could examine just for the sake of the entire community. What are your eyes and your ears telling you about the suffering that unaffirming theology causes? And we talk a lot about that. So that's all in here. I don't want to, I'm not going to steal the thunder. But be kind to my girl today, internet. Be gentle with her. Cherish her story. Cherish who she is. Keep her safe and protected and loved. You know, that's our world right there walking around. And so she's done a big, brave thing coming to you in this way. And I know that you will honor her. So without any further ado, here's my beloved daughter, Sydney. Well, I am happy to have you back on the podcast. Hi. Yes. Hello. Okay. 
Let's just jump in. I've already told everybody what we're doing here and kind of what you and I've been talking about for some time and just sort of thought this was this was the time. This was the moment. So I wonder if you would be willing to walk back quite a ways, kind of toward the beginning of this part of your story. Could you talk a little bit about when you first started wondering about your own sexuality, about your own orientation, when that sort of hit your radar in some way, even in a really young way, how old were you? And do you remember kind of what you were thinking and feeling at the time? Yeah, this, that was like a really intense like time in my life. I mean, I, I started being like consciously aware of my sexuality and at some point around sixth or seventh grade, I remember I was nervous to like write it down in case like somebody would see it so I don't have any like evidence for when exactly I started knowing that it was sometime around there but I usually tell people that I really kind of always knew and you know I think a lot of like gay and trans people have that story where it's like it's your own like body and it's natural right and I think a lot of kids are just like kind of cut off from their own knowing by just being raised in complete like heteronormativity and right. just not even having the option and their families assuming they're straight and their kids movies assuming they're straight I remember yeah. not even like like I remember having these like really intense friendships that mm. were definitely crushes but before I even really knew that that was an option on the table right you know, you know yeah. I always knew and that's why I feel like the whole like coming out thing it's kind of antiquated and will hopefully be over eventually just as kids are raised and able to just like have as much freedom to kind of like I don't know like grow up and develop their sexuality as every other kid I've even got to see this a little bit with Remy you know like Mm -hmm. I've been out since she was like I don't know like nine or ten yeah and even though she's really goofy about it like she's always been able to be like I don't know if I'm gay or not yet like I don't have crushes yet I don't know right like we'll see and like right it's just so cool to see that and be like god like the amount of heartache that would have been able to be prevented if I could have just done that you know sure like I remember trying to make myself have crushes on boys and like talking about it with my friends when I was like 12 but your crushes were always really fake they were like I have a crush on Ed Sheeran I'm like do you (laughs) like I remember the one yeah. The one like fabricated crush I had in sixth grade was this kid named Dawson. And he like asked me out and then like, lied and said that I wasn't allowed to have a boyfriend. And then I used that for like dominant intention for a little bit. But we both ended up gay. So Oh weird. He found each other and then in the wild. I guess it was a little bit pretend for him, you know. Yeah. I guess that was dodged for both of us. Well, one thing that I like about what you're saying, which when we can switch it over to a hetero space makes it so easy to understand is like, I never had to be told that I liked boys. That wasn't Mm -hmm. some big moment where it was like some sort of reckoning and, oh, I'm, I like boys. And that has, now this has to be a deal. And it did start early. Of course it did. I mean, I had a crush on a boy in third grade and he, we were in the nurse's office at the same time. And I tried to stay sick. So I could stay in there. So staying back there real quickly before we move forward, Mm -hmm. sixth, seventh grade, eighth, Mm -hmm. even there's probably a laundry list of stuff, but did anything feel 
Surely scary to you back then. What were you worried about? What was keeping you up at night? Well, I mean, like, first it was like the really painful and confusing, like, cognitive dissonance of even realizing that you might be gay, you know? And like, that knowing was like always inside, but like, it finally coming out and like not being able to deny it anymore. And for some Mm -hmm. people that happens when they're 40 years old. But for me, I was 12, because that was when I started I think seeing like representation of gay people just in like movies and stuff. And I just became even more aware of what it was. So first of all, like that was really confusing. And then Mm -hmm. like, you know, I was such a Jesus freak. (laughs) Like my whole, my, my You were a good little Christian soldier. Yeah. Well, and I was always very spiritual also. Like I remember doing my little devotionals Mm -hmm. when I was as young as like seven. And I grew up like youth group every week, even like me and my best girlfriends and like, I think eighth grade literally made like a Bible study, just us. Sure. And so that was like my whole world. You know, I was the kid at like youth camp who took that crap way too seriously. Like I would have yeah. gone up to the pulpit with the kids getting saved if I could have. If I wasn't baptized in second grade, I would have. You know, I did too. I got, sa- I got re-saved every summer. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, I loved all of the Jesus emotions when I was little. So, yeah. you know, my first thought was like, oh shoot, like, am I going to go to hell? Mm. Mm. I was like 12, you know, and then my second thought was what's going to happen with my family. And like, I remember like when I look back at the journals for that time, seeing that I was writing like, well, I'm going to have to think one day, like, am I going to come out? Like, am I ever going to tell my family? Like, I might still want to be married one day. Like if I get married, like I'm going to have to tell my family, but like, what's going to happen if I tell my family? And that was really scary. But the biggest thing was like, it's hard to think back on this time and to look back on those journals because I was like 12 and 13, like fighting really hard for my own faith Yeah. because I was really scared. And at that time, I didn't have a single voice in my life telling me that it was okay. I didn't even know that there were people who were like affirming of gay people in the church and of same-sex marriage. And I obviously didn't have the tools to figure that out for myself, but I tried. I remember trying yeah. to do like like a comprehensive Bible study on my own, trying to figure out like, mm. if this was okay or not, you know? This was kind of hard. So, But I, I just remember trying to Google it, and one of the first resources that I found was just this person talking about like various Christian perspectives on same-sex marriage, and they were kind of providing some different leaders who had said different things on it and you know they provided the like non-affirming perspective and then they got to the like loving but unaffirming kind of theology and the leader that they linked was you right it took me something that you wrote and that was like nail in the coffin that's when I was like oof and then I didn't touch Bible for years at that point so that was through like seventh eighth and ninth grade yeah, just trying to process all that on my own and having no idea how. They're like full grown, like Christian ministers who have no idea how to answer that question or even yeah. begin the research process, you know? So. Right. Oh, it's so heavy, honey. Yeah. So, so, so heavy. That'll always be for the rest of my life one of my greatest sadnesses, my greatest regrets and sorrows and. When I think about you struggling through that by yourself, I could just sob. Yeah, me too. And I think 
I get really like emotional talking about it. I just have so much compassion for myself. I just feel like I'm like 13 again. You know what I mean? Mm. Yeah. This like kid who just like loved Jesus and I like realized I was yeah. gay and I was just scared and alone. And I just, I wanted to have it all. Like I wanted to have my family and God like and my future. And I didn't think I'd be able to have it all. Yes. And even though that I know that I, I can yeah. now, like, you know, I still definitely have like a lot of work ahead of me. If I still want to, restore and kind of repair like my own faith that I had as a child you know yeah and that's like really hard because as soon as I try um to kind of get into that stuff I'm just like takes me back to that like tinder sure like like space you know totally you know you and I of course you know this at this point but our church at the time was deep in the process of evaluation on that and so much regret that I had not just grabbed all of you and pulled you so deeply into those conversations. I'm so sad about that. I wonder, what do you wish? And I'm thinking back to that Sydney, that Sydney who was still scared. And what do you wish that pastors and churches knew? I mean, they need to know that like the faith of gay kids in their families and in their churches is in their hands you know yeah. like it's up to them mm. and what they say matters yeah and we were even talking about this the other day I was like everybody wants to take their time and make sure that they have it right but you can't wait we yeah. can't wait you know right. I couldn't wait yeah I, I needed that and like and I looked for those answers on my own that's the thing like these kids are going to look for those answers on their own if you don't yeah. decide what answer you want to give them like yeah you know, you'll remember, like, I picked up this book. A terrible day. I picked up this this book that dad had. I can't, like, say what's called. I don't want to, like, slander this person, but. Because we had a stack. I mean, we had, you know, obviously, uh, you were watching our process. We had, I don't even know, 30 books. And they were all over the map and uh, the dirt. So that's why. No, sorry, yeah. Yes. I, I know that now. But it ended up just being this pastor who didn't know where he landed but knew that he loved the gay people in his life systematically going through the bible and verse by verse coming to the conclusion that gayness is like sin and that like same-sex relationships are sinful right and that was just like destroyed because there was this person who came from this this like pastor who came from this place of Uh love and of authority and like i'm using the bible like i'm here with Mm. scripture like this is what matters to me right now and I read the whole thing in one day, just fully feeling in that moment, like, that, like God didn't love me, fully feeling like the absence of that ended up calling that because I was just having this full meltdown, panic attack. And, you know, he came in and found me on the floor yes. with Ladybird, and you came and it just like, yes. like, I just want pastors to know that that's what happens. That's right. That is what happens. Like we hear you. We're, yes. we're reading what you're writing. That's right. We're in your pews. We yes. might be your kids. And that's what happens. It's so real. And I think some pastors and churches also make the mistake of thinking that on any given Sunday, they're just speaking to people who are all straight and in alignment on that. When the truth yeah. is, every single church is just filled with 
gay kids and gay moms and dads. And, yes. you know, they're, it's just so irresponsible to break their hearts. Up to 10% of the population can mm-hmm. be like gay or trans. You know what I mean? Like they're in your church, they're in your family. And it doesn't matter how loving you are or what emphasis on scripture you come with. That's not enough if you're not. It's not fully with accepting them as, as children of God. You know, I appreciate you saying that because before you know we had done meaningful work around this theology, that would have been me, as you mentioned earlier, loving, yeah. but not there. And so now, what I understand so like deeply into my bones is that's maybe even more cruel. That's maybe the worst cruelty as opposed to just outright homophobia. It is not enough Christians to say, well, we love you anyway. I don't want to be loved anyway. No, no. Discovering the story of your family, it matters. And there are many paths to finding your family's story, whichever way you choose, whether you trace your family generations back with a family tree or uncover your ethnicity with Ancestry DNA, it's easy to get started with Ancestry. So an Ancestry DNA test tells you where your ancestors are from. And Ancestry's billions of records and millions of family trees let you discover your family's personal stories. It's crazy how much information you can find. You might discover you're related to someone famous in history, or you might find a photo of your great-great-grandmother and see you have her eyes. Obviously, family is everything to me. And when I took my own ancestry DNA test, I found out that most of my ancestors are from the UK, and I had no idea. Start exploring your family story today. So head to my URL at ancestry.com slash for the love to get your ancestry DNA kit and start your free trial. Okay, so that's ancestry.com slash for the love. Okay, back to our show. Let's move forward a little bit. You came out in high school. Can you talk at all about that early season for you of being out, of living openly, like just with your family and with your friends? And I mean, at your high school, you're just at a public high school. And can you talk a little bit? Of course, you just have your experience. But according to your perspective, what is it like for kind of gay teens in high school right now? Yeah, I mean... I was actually just talking about this with Gavin and Remy the other day because Remy was just saying that in her middle school, like there are kids right. coming out. And sure. Gavin said when he graduated high school, like nobody had come out in his grade. And mm. he's just two years older than me. Yeah. And so I think it's been changing so much in the True. past few years. I think my experience landed somewhere in the middle there. You know, I was still in the, the Texas, you know. True. Oh, the rebels. Mm, mercy. So there were definitely hateful people, but yeah. I had honestly like a fairly like normal experience. I had a lot of the normalcy that I think a lot of teenagers want. Like I sure. had a girlfriend and we went to prom together and I had friends who loved me. And then getting able to be fully out with just like our immediate family was just really yeah. special. And being able to yeah. get to a point of just like total normalcy you know I can't even tell you how good just normalcy feels and how like in my relationships with friends or family where I still don't feel 
mm-hmm. like fully, fully accepted and held. The only thing missing is normalcy, you know, I, just I, like treating me normal and just being normal and just engaging uh-huh. with my life. You know what I mean? Right. Of course. And so I kind of got to have that um, a little bit, which was good. And yeah. I think it's even better for kids now, especially now that yeah. there's even like gay characters and shows and stuff. Yeah, so. totally. Yeah. It wasn't horrible. College is a whole other ballgame, though. Well, know? let's talk about college because, and by the way, just before I move to college, you're so right. Representation really, really matters. I was just yeah. reading a statistic just yesterday about how markedly the percentage goes up for normalized, as you're saying, normalization oh, yes. for people who are taking in and, pay, and ingesting more just normalized LGBTQ people in commercials and in shows and in music and just yeah. wherever, like yeah. it has a real effect on the it normalization. Does. It matters. So representation is not a small deal. That is a big part of big mm-hmm. sweeping cultural changes, which is really, really yeah. important. Okay. But back to your point, moving North in your story, can you talk a little bit more about how your experience in college was different if it was? And if so, how? I feel like the bigger difference was more just that in college, I just fully inhabit my own self so much Mm. more. In high school, I just lugged around just like so much like shame still. Mm. And that just really affected how I filtered myself, how I filtered the way I dressed or the things that I talked about or who I talked about my relationship with or or whatever and in college I just feel a lot more free and I think that was a combination of getting to live out of Texas for a Mm -hmm. while getting into therapy and just like growing up and being around just like mature adults and also just being around like gay people and like grown gays right (laughs) you know grown gays yeah and just like having it become my life instead of being one of the only kids to be out in my grade you know just like reaching more and more towards normalcy I feel like normalcy really goes hand in hand with like healing in that Mm. way which you might not think of when I was younger my whole life and my anxieties and my conversations and so much was just centered around my sexuality and what that meant and what that looked like and now it's just more and more just my life and my friends and my relationships you know right totally that's great and I think that's why so many of the older gays are like it gets better like just some of the trappings of being a young little baby gaby, you know, is just so atrocious to endure alone. And let me ask you this, in your opinion, you're very engaged, you're paying attention, you are activist in like the true sense of the word. So in your opinion, what do you think right now, as you said, this is changing like on the hour. But right now, what do you think are the most urgent issues or injustices are both mm-hmm. facing the LGBTQ community right now? So, you know, obviously the Trump administration's systemic stripping away of the LGBT rights that were kind of built up under the Obama administration. And that's not just happening under Trump. That's also happening state by state through the South. That's right. That's where a lot of those religious rights bills are getting passed that are really scary. And we did have a win at the Supreme Court the other day. We did. That's just one small thing. Where my thoughts go is I need to see gay people and straight people alike coming around the trans community. I think they are not accepted because they are less understood and I think for a lot of straight people, trans people are less palatable to them. Yeah. And so the same 
support and the same urgency isn't there. But Black trans women have a life expectancy of 35 because yeah. of the rate at which they are murdered and committing suicide. And the suicide rates for trans kids is insane. So yeah. And I see, especially in affirming like Christian spaces, this readiness to talk about gay people because we understand them more and see them more represented in our lives and mm. can digest them easier and not want to talk about trans issues. I think their lives are the most in danger and vulnerable yeah. right now. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I'm glad that you brought that up. And I think you're right. It's the least understood letter on the spectrum and the easiest to marginalize. For anybody listening who, there's so many resources out there, but Sydney and I last year read This Is How It Always Is, which is a oh. fiction book. I sent that to you when you were at camp. I'm like, oh, you're going to love this book. I read it while I was like at the lifeguard station, dude. Yes. So good. Didn't your book club read it too? Yeah. And then I put it in my book club as one of our favorite books we've read in the calendar year. It's really powerful. It's fiction, but it just shows you what this looks like in an, just kind of a, you know, an ordinary family, which is where trans people live. You know, right. they're not mm-hmm. out of some strange um, version of American life. It's just ordinary yeah. kids, ordinary families, right. ordinary parents and fantastic book. It's by, um, Laura, uh, oh gosh, Frankel. L- Lori Frankel. L- yeah. Lori Frankel. L- yeah. Also such an incredible writer. Like her prose is also just like, oh yeah, she's a book master. Destroyed me. Yeah, I've got to read it. <laughs> I know, so I know. Good. I read the last page and then ordered it to you. Guys, thank you for listening to this conversation with Sydney and me today. I'm always so happy when there are resources, obviously, that speak to my kids. And there's one that Sydney turned me on to that's just fantastic. And it's a podcast called Queer Relation Tips. Relation Tips. Do you get it? That's cute, right? So Queer Relation Tips is hosted by Isaac Archuleta. In addition to hosting this podcast, he's a counselor and CEO of I Am Clinic, helping LGBTQ individuals and couples. And now he's created this fabulous podcast to help LGBTQ relationships grow and flourish. So good, 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 good. So the Queer Relationships podcast is top notch because not only do you get Isaac's expertise and life-changing insights, he brings on other influencers from the LGBTQ community and together they help listeners build effective relational tools and skills. And this might be my favorite part. Isaac speaks to real people who want to share their story with the world. Isn't that fantastic? So what an incredible resource, you guys. Check out Queer Relationships wherever you listen to podcasts, okay? Queer Relationships. I'm so happy that that resource exists in the world. Okay, back to our show. So kind of along the same line of thinking, what does meaningful allyship look like to you? Yeah, so I think everyone's been thinking about allyship a lot lately, just with everything going on with the Black Lives Matter movement and everybody just really speaking up and trying to see like, how do you support somebody with a marginalized identity when you can't understand them? That can be hard sometimes. I think when it comes to the LGBT community, and this really does extend to what I was just talking about, mm-hmm. it is always supporting and surrounding and protecting LGBT people, even when you don't understand them Mm -hmm. or they're less palatable to you Mm -hmm. or they might seem weird to you or confusing or whatever, like just making it not about you and instead about them. 
So yeah. your allyship can't be about you and it can't be performative. Mm. Um, it has to be for everybody and mm. it has to be about love. That's good. And I think there's a certain brand of allies who are really needed inside the church. That is a very specific spot to fill because that's just organized religion is still such an unsafe place for so many LGBTQ people. And can I add to that? Yeah. I feel like the biggest act of allyship you can make is using your voice in places where marginalized people feel less safe. So that would be the church. Totally. It's speaking up, it's not sitting down. I don't want to have to have that conversation in yeah. my church. I yeah. don't want to. It is so personal for me. Like, that's my life. It's our families. You know, yes. like that shouldn't have to always be our work. That's being right. Being an ally is being willing to take on work. And yeah. I think I really haven't seen that in the church. I mean, yeah. I really see this being pioneered by gay people and people just wanting to be allies quietly, but there's no such thing as a quiet ally. That's not allyship. That might be acceptance, but I don't really need your acceptance. Your acceptance doesn't do anything for me. Like I need your support and and your voice. That's a great point. Kind of to parallel that with what's going on with Black Lives Matter right now. You know, one leading school of thought here is like, stop putting the burden on Black people to educate everybody and change systems. It's too great a burden to bear. And it's not their work. It's the work of whoever's in power. It's the work of that majority voice, of that privileged person inside the system. That's the person's work. And so as it comes to like gay kids and adults, your job when it comes to church is just go to a safe one. That's your only yeah. job. Go where you yeah. are cherished. Go where you are beloved. Go where all and your gifts say, are invited. So much work. That is, mm. that is our work. That's our work. And we need all the space and support we can have in that. You know what I mean? That has been like the journey of my life mm. <laughs> is getting back into church and feeling safe yeah. in that space. You know, I can't be doing spiritual heavy lifting for you. That's right. Yes. It's enough heavy lifting to be loved by God and people in the church. That's enough. Just there's your work. And to love yourself. yourself. Exactly. That's the only responsibility of the gay folk is be safe and be loved. And so it's the rest of us who are always centered in the narrative. It's our job to tear down unjust structures. Ain't it easy? It's just a piece of cake. And everybody loves it. Everybody loves it. It's very rewarded. I would love to tell allies, do not be afraid, but I'm not sure I can. It's scary. Mm. It's hard. Mm. Yeah. Especially in the Christian space. Yeah, it is. Yes. But for me, I mean, I can say with absolute integrity that the gain and the reward is so much higher than the cost. Like it almost just doesn't even count. It almost doesn't count into the debit column because what is on the other side of that allyship and that work. And for some people, this begins with their own personal theology, which is where it began for, of course, us too. It started, what do we believe here? What were we ever taught about this? What is this theology? We would not deeply ever really examined it. As grown thinking people, we not applied any critical thought to it. And so that was the beginning of the work. But ultimately, on the other side of all that, the freedom and the joy and the flourishing of all human people in that space is just powerful. Like, it's so powerful. You don't walk away from that 
first space into something alone. Like you walk straight into like a much better and way more fashionable Christian community. So <laughs> very more fashionable. And yeah. you right. That Christian community where everybody is beloved and cherished equally is it is absolutely thriving. Like yes. the spiritual fruit there is in freaking credible. And just the way in which everybody's gifts are invited to come to bear mm-hmm. in from top to bottom and every level of authority and passion. And, and then just to see a spiritual vibrancy inside each and every beating heart is, well, mm-hmm. there's just no replacement for it. Like it's either that for me or none. That's my equation. Yeah. I would never, ever, ever stand for a lesser version of it where it only works for me. Let me ask you this, because you are deeply embedded. So what are your favorite things about your specific little community? What special light Mm -hmm. does the LGBTQ community bring to this earth? I've got my ideas. I'd like to hear what you think. I mean, that's a great question. I, I, I wish when I was 13, I knew that being gay was cause for celebration, not yeah. devastation. First of all, it truly is a community in the full sense of that word. You have friends in every space that you enter for the rest of your life. People that see you and understand you and will be there with you. And that's really special. And another thing, even for me, is just like what a privilege it is to get to be a part of that community and then to even get to like love other women and to get to one day like build like a family like that. Yeah. That's so beautiful. But I also just think like gay people are brave and strong and are fun and free. And we've had to overcome so much. And I think there's so much like good that has come of that. And I wouldn't be straight if I had the option. Right. I know. One day you'll have a beautiful family. I'm gonna have almost nothing but daughters in law. That's it. That's my future. It's just daughters-in-law everywhere. They're going to be like raining from the ceiling. So I have two more questions and then I have something to say. Any last word, if you will, for Mm -hmm. the parents and the friends and the families of LGBTQ folks? Well, your kids are gay (laughs) or they very well might be. So Mm -hmm. you have to act like it. Yeah. Same goes for your friends free community, all of that. So you better prepare yourself and Mm -hmm. act like it and create a home and create an environment for them to feel safe and loved and held now. Yeah, that's a great, great, great suggestion. How about any last word for LGBTQ people? I love you guys so much. I was thinking about this because just the other day, I was talking to one of my gay friends who her parents are Nigerian and her dad is like Jehovah's Witness. So yeah. she just knows that there's going to be a lot of hardship in the story of their family moving forward. And she doesn't know like what will be left mm. if or when she comes out. And she's just been so devastated by that. And I was just telling her like, I love you. Hold on. You're about to make the family that you always dreamed of. And it's Mm. gonna be so beautiful. Mm. It's gonna be so good. It's coming for you. Like it might not be the one that you're in right now, but the best, most beautiful family is coming for your life. And it's gonna be so great. And then we will cry. (laughs) That's so sweet. So it will just always be like my greatest 
sadness that dad and I did not do our own work early enough so that you felt safe and beloved in your own family or that we didn't do our work in front of you even, that that was not something that we were talking about, that he and I were, but we weren't talking deeply about what we were learning and processing in front of you and thus left you alone and vulnerable and scared. And I am so sorry and I'm so sad. And if I could go back, I would change it. I would shake myself to life before you were even born shake some sense into me look at what this is causing just in look around use your eyes use your ears use your brain and use your heart and I wish I could have gone back and changed that and I'm so sorry and I'm so sad that you suffered and I'll always be sad I'll always be sad about that and I'm always going to be sorry also we are like so proud of who you are like I would not change one molecule of you. Not one. I'm so glad you're gay. I'm so proud that you are free. I love that this is how you are made. I'm thrilled about your future. I, I've i already told you the kind of wife I need you to marry, and I hope you follow my rules. She must be funny. You know, she needs to be able to handle this family is all I'm saying, but... We're just so proud of you, honey. And I have found your story to be so courageous. And and you did so much of it on your own. And that's the strength of your own character. That you had something in you so both tender and strong that you were able to make it. And you did. And you're incredible. And we just love you so much. And every single bit of you is cause for pride. And so the end, I don't know how to end it. That's the end. It's the end of my talk. I love you. I love you too. And I love your friends and I love who you are and who you're going to be. Thank you for being willing to just talk about this with the world and yeah. my community specifically. And I hope that it makes you feel strong in your own life, in your own yeah. story, in your own body, in your own future. Anyway. I love you. I love you. That's my girl. (laughs) Oh, what a girl. Thank you for being tender and loving with her. I know that you will be. I know that I can trust you. And also don't overwhelm her. Okay, it's all right. Just, you are very dear. And I'm very, very proud of her. Before I let you go, I wanted just to talk a teeny bit more for those of you who are listening and learning, for those of you who are in your own process of investigation, maybe toward the beginning of it even, for those of you who are asking new questions or are opening your heart toward different interpretations or understanding. I wanted just to tell you a handful of things that we've learned from the Human Rights Campaign and the University of Connecticut, who surveyed over 12,000 LGBTQ respondents between the ages of 13 and 17. I wanted to share a few stats with you. They discovered that 77% of LGBTQ teenagers surveyed reported feeling very depressed or down in that current week, 77%. 95% of them reported trouble sleeping at night. As Sydney mentioned, 
LGBTQ youth of color and the transgender teens experience unique challenges and elevated stress in every category. Only 11% of youth of color surveyed believed their racial or ethnic group was regarded positively in the U.S. And over 50% of transgender youth said they can never use school restrooms that align with their gender identity, 50%. More than 70% reported feelings of worthlessness and hopelessness in the past week, 70%. Only 26% say they always feel safe in their school classrooms. And just 5% said all of their teachers and school staff were supportive of LGBTQ kids. 67% said they have heard family members make negative comments about LGBTQ people. Almost identical, 68% say they have received negative messages from elected leaders. Four out of 10 say the community in which they live doesn't accept them. LGBTQ youth are twice as likely to have been physically assaulted. And so this is just self-reporting. And I want us to have a reckoning together that when we refuse to cherish and affirm the LGBTQ community, including our kids, we are literally breaking their hearts. We are breaking their bodies. We are breaking their minds. This is not neutral. This is not just a difference of opinion. This is causing harm and trauma and suffering. And so if you are willing to do your own examination here, if this is not a position that you already hold, which I hope that you do, one of the key things I heard Sydney say today was the best thing you can do is go ahead and create a beautiful, welcoming, supportive home right this minute, way before there's somebody in your, that lives inside the home that you know of that needs it. That this is the work to do now, and it affects everybody, and it matters. This work matters so very much. And so thank you for listening today. Thank you for doing your own work, for you're doing your own heavy lifting. Thank you to every single ally of the LGBTQ community. Your friendship and your support means everything. And so on behalf of my kid and our family, we're grateful. We are grateful for you. So thanks for listening today. We are so thankful for this listening community and this community of women that we could come to safely because you have been so good to us. Okay, see you next time. Thank you.